again this morning, and I hope that you have been encouraged and that you've experienced God's love as we've worshiped, and now as we gather around God's Word. I'm going to invite you to be uh, turning to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be together in just a minute. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there may be a pew Bible there in front of you. Uh, we'll be reading from uh, quite a few verses in Philippians chapter 2. I encourage you to find that. Uh, somehow and, and be ready to read along with us here in just a minute. <clears throat> Today we are continuing in a sermon series uh, that we're calling Life Together. And this series is uh, designed to help us think about uh, community and what it means to be in community together and live our lives together. And that's part of the purpose. Another purpose is that it is helping us to prepare for the relaunching of our small group ministry here at KCOC. And and Robin Yeldell and Stuart McGregor as our Connections Ministry leaders have been working to prepare for that. Most of you saw Stuart's email that he sent out this past week. And I just want to remind you that there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer this morning. It'll be there from now until February the 23rd uh, for you to sign up if you're interested in being a part of uh, this small group ministry. We're not putting people in groups now or doing that, planning to do that. We're just, at this point, the sign-up sheet is just trying to determine uh, how many people we have that are interested so that we know how many groups we need, how many leaders we need, and those, those kind of things. So please let us know if you're interested in participating and serving as a leader or co-leader. And mostly, I just want to ask you to be, to be in prayer for that new effort and uh, that God will use that to draw us closer together as a body as we gather in smaller gatherings during the week. So Philippians chapter 2, before we look there, uh, in beginning in verse 1, I want to ask if you would just to pray with me uh, so we can pray over this time and, and the time we'll spend thinking about what Paul writes about here together. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful this morning again for, <clears throat> for your love for us and that you walk with us and we feel your presence <clears throat> in all the moments of life. God, we ask this morning that you will be with us now as we gather around your word and we pray that our ears will be open to hear what you want us to hear and our eyes will be open to see what you want us to see father that our hearts will be receptive to hear to receive those things and uh, to know how to live those out in the best possible ways we're thankful for christ for his perfect life for the standard that he modeled and left for us uh, what a beautiful picture it is that he gives us of how to live and how to love each other and we pray that you'll help us as we strive to be like Christ in all of the elements and aspects of our own lives. We pray Father now that you'll be with us and through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So during this series we have been uh, looking at some of the one another passages in the New Testament and two weeks ago we talked about love one another. And I, and I mentioned that all of the one another passages that we're going to talk about after love one another really grow out of that one, that our com the greatest command is to love God and to love each other, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so everything kind of grows out of that. And so we started with that. And then last week we talked about the, the one another passage bearing with one another. And today I want us to reflect together on a word that Paul first offered to the church in Philippi that I think is still incredibly relevant for us today in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to begin uh, by reading the, the words that we all read together uh, a few minutes ago, the first five verses of Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, <clears throat> if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness 
and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So I had a professor in college that always said, if you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you always need to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And that word therefore is the first word we encounter, and it points back to what has just been said. That's why you're asking that question. It's there for a reason. And its, it's reason is that it's pointing you back to what was just mentioned before we, the words we just read. And so at the end of Philippians chapter 1, Paul, we're not going to go read that, but you just need to know that Paul has been encouraging the Philippians in their struggle against outside persecution. They are a church that is experiencing pressure from the outside, and they're trying to figure out how to live as God's people in this city, Philippi, as Christians in that day and age. And so you approach this, this first verse, and you see the word therefore, and so you, now you're wondering, well, why is it there? What is he going to say next? And with this one phrase, if therefore you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, as he begins chapter 2, Paul connects what he's been writing about in chapter 1, pressure from the outside, to the words that we just read. And his point is this, that internal unity is essential in holding back outside distraction. That in a church, there will always be the possibility of outside distraction. That the enemy wants to distract us by anything and everything possible that he can use to, you know, to distract us from our purpose and our focus, which is living lives that honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And, and that what will inevitably happen as out, outside distraction creeps in is that it will create disunity among the body. And so Paul says the internal unity is essential in living in community and being aware of one another in your relationships is essential in holding back outside distraction. That the enemy is working overtime to really to derail the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel changing people's lives in whatever way that the enemy has to do that. And the enemy wants nothing more than for Christians to be against each other because the enemy knows that if you and I are against each other, then we are not focusing on defeating the enemy, right? So that the way that we resist this outside distraction, Paul says, is by maintaining unity within. And this is true of church, and this is true also in just our everyday relationships. If two people are at odds with one another, or if they are rather pursuing unity, right, then, then the enemy is less likely to infiltrate that relationship. If they are, they are in step with one another, the enemy is less likely to infiltrate that relationship. So you, this is the first word we, we hear about unity and, and living in our community here as the body of Christ together. And so he says, if you have received any encouragement from being united with Christ, and so that's, that's the question, that's the thing for us to consider this morning. If you have received any encouragement from being united with Christ, then he's talking to you. I just 
show of hands, this should be an easy, you're going to get 100 on this test, question. If you have ever been encouraged by Jesus Christ, I want you to raise your hand. Maybe not today, right? Maybe, maybe not last week, but everybody should have a moment in their life where they can go. There was a point at which I, I recall I was encouraged by Christ or by a Christian, which is another way of maybe saying that. Have you ever been encouraged in your faith? Then Paul is talking to you. And if the answer is yes, then this word is for you. If you've been encouraged by Christ at any point in your life, then his word for us is to be like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and in mind. Now, if you felt maybe today, maybe last week, maybe at a church camp, maybe on a retreat, maybe at a thousand various points throughout your lifetime, some encouragement from your relationship with Jesus, what he says is that unity and living together in our relationships with one another in unity is to be among our highest aims. The literal translation of the Greek here is to be same-minded. Paul wants the church to be same-minded. And, and I don't know if, if how that strikes you or lands with you, but when I was preparing for this sermon, like if you're like me, you might have been tempted to, to, you know, to hear that idea, like Paul's encouraging us to be same-minded. And my reaction, and some of you have heard me refer to my, my relationship with Paul. Paul and I kind of, you know, sometimes I like to go back and forth with Paul, and I think he's a pretty interesting guy. I like him. I would have liked to have known him in person. But I, I'm kind of tempted at this point to ask, to pause and ask, like, Paul, with all due respect, are you a little bit out of your mind, right? Have you ever actually been a part of a church, Paul? Don't you know how church is, Paul? Right, which feels sort of silly asking Paul because he's one of the guys that Jesus used to start the whole thing. But the reality is that as I hear Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi and to the church here this morning, my reality is that I feel compelled to ask because I do know what it's like to be a part of a church. And I have been a part of a church, just like you have. So how does it work? Right? Churches are all made up of people, and people are all different. So how does it work to be same-minded if you're different? N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, once wrote that there is an old Jewish joke that says if you've got two rabbis, you've probably got three opinions. And I like that because I think that's sort of the way it is in church. If you have 250 people in a church, you have 250 different opinions. The more people you have, the more opinions and personalities and thoughts that you have. And with that as our reality, Paul says to us, be same-minded. Wait, 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 but I disagree with certain people about certain really important issues, Paul. Paul says to be same-minded in your relationships with one another. With all of our uniqueness and our quirkiness and our long-held beliefs, Paul, and our cultural opinions, Paul. You want us to think the same, and you want us to love each other completely? This feels impossible. Can we be honest about that this morning? Or is it impossible? Is it possible for a group of people to function like Paul suggests? And if there is a possibility for this to happen, how would we even begin to get 
to that place? Well, in verse 3, he begins to answer that question, and I think he gets really practical. And I want to reread verses 3 and 4 just so we can hear them again and allow them to kind of settle down into our hearts. He says, this is how you begin. You do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Here's what he's saying. Others before self. Same-mindedness, loving completely as a body, living in community with each other as a unified whole starts with looking outside of ourselves as we interact with one another, as we live in community with each other, as we share our lives. What Paul says is in humility, which means lowering in your, your own agenda, right? In humility, valuing others above yourselves. And to value others before yourself, you have to consider other people first. Considering them first would mean living in such a radical way, radical in the sense that it's not going to be shared by a lot of people, right? The radical belief that everyone else and their needs are more important than you and your needs. Can you just imagine that with me for, the, for a second this morning? We hold the solution to the world's problems in our hands. Can you just imagine with me for a second the world if this was the posture that every Christian took? Just Christians. I'm not even asking people who don't believe to take that posture. Just people who claim to follow Jesus Christ. That we would take this belief, this posture that people and their needs are more important than our own. They're, that it's not always about getting our way or what we want. But here's the thing that I really believe before it can ever be applied. In our cities, in our workplaces, in our county, in our nation, or even around the world, it has to be practiced here in the church first. Like this is, we get to, it's like a, it's like a you know, we get to have, be kind of the, the science experiment as we learn to live in community with one another and value each other above ourselves. It's very similar to the idea of bearing with one another, although that's more in line of thinking about how we have patience with each other. But it's the same kind of idea that I talked about last week, that if we were to do this, the world would take notice because it's not happening anywhere. This is such a backwards way from how the world operates. We live in a world that is mostly always interested in me. And yet this backwards way is what we are invited to step into as followers of Jesus. So how do we make it happen? Well, let's listen to what Paul writes next, beginning in verse 6. He says, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Some of you may be aware of the fact that these verses are a poem. That's why they're kind of arranged the way they are in the text. A poem about Jesus and the life that he lived. A poem about his death, about what he did for you and me and the world through his life and his death. But this isn't just any poem. Uh, it's a poem that, that may very likely have been sung, a song that many scholars believe the early church would have sung in their worship gatherings, which I just love imagining the church in Philippi singing these words. Paul here is likely using their own language with one of their own hymns and reminding them of their theology, what they believe. Right? He's reminding them, these are the things you believe. And that is this, that you live out and others before self-life by looking outside of yourself to the person of Jesus Christ. His suggestion is so normal that we almost run the risk of missing it. Look at Jesus. Both our ability to do that and the strength that we gain from doing that, the example that's there before us, come from Jesus. If we are ever to be the type of community like Paul describes here, it will happen because each of us has chosen to focus our eyes, to fix our eyes, to take our cues from Jesus Christ. Now, what did Jesus do? He gave himself up for others. Notice the part that Jesus did in these verses. He gave himself up for others. And then notice the part that God did. Right? Jesus made the decision to humble himself, and allowed God to do the exalting. And usually in our world, it goes the other way. We start with exalting self and then may, you know, hope that something else kind of works out for the other people along the way. And Jesus models in his life humbling himself and allowing God, if, if the exalting is going to happen, allowing God to handle that part. Jesus made himself nothing for others. And God gave him the name that only God could do. God gave him the name that is above every name. This is the thing that I, I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus had a choice about. He could have gone about it in another way. But he knew there was only one way that would really work that where people 2,000 years later would still be talking about Jesus Christ. Had Jesus done it just like everybody else did it, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus because there would be nothing unique about his approach. Right? Lots of kings had come in and conquered and dominated the world using their power, wielding their influence. And Jesus knew that there was only one way to do it that was going to truly last, a way that turned things on their head, a way that helped people see a third way, not the first or second options that they had always been offered by the world. And because of that decision, this picture of Christ on the cross becomes the perfect picture of what God is like, self-giving love. The way you make relationships work, any relationship, friendship, marriage, church family, co-workers, relationships with your kids or grandkids or cousins or family members or those difficult people in your life is by having the same mindset as Jesus Christ who considered you before he considered himself. You, you know that what I have, you know what I know, and that is that I have found that it is easy to consider you when things are going well. 
it's easier to consider you, you and your needs or other people and their needs when things are going well. What is much harder is considering the other person when I'm frustrated, when I'm hurt, when I'm angry, right? Right? It's easy to get along when we're all doing well, but whenever you've hurt me, frustrated me, I'm dif- we're having difficulty in our relationship, it's a little harder to, to put you first because I want to protect myself. I want to guard my own heart, and I don't really want to put you first. I don't really want to value you above me because you've hurt me, you've wronged me, you've disappointed me, whatever it may be. I want to lash out. I may want to get even. I may want to avoid someone so as to try to inflict some less kind, you know, some level of similar pain upon them that I have feel I feel like has been inflicted upon me. So one area where I think this teaching gets really practical is in thinking about how do we do this? What what does it look like? And to illustrate this, I mean, what, what's actually happening maybe would be another way to say it. To, to illustrate this, to give you kind of a mental picture of, of what I believe is actually happening when, two, when people are in relationship with one another, I want to share something with you that I originally learned from author and preacher named Greg Boyd. And to do this, I want you to think about a map and, and what you know about a map, okay? Uh, we all know how maps work. Maps are two-dimensional, small-scale representations uh, of terrain, of roads, of rivers. But I want to I propose a thought experiment with me. I want you to go in your mind to some place you've never gone before this morning with me. Suppose for a second, and this might feel really odd to you, but just hang with me, it'll make sense in a second. Suppose for a second that you encountered an alien and that this alien had never seen a map before. The alien would say to you in this thought experiment conversation, what is that? That's the alien. He's trying to be peaceful, you see. And you would say to the alien, well, that's the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And the alien would say, really? I mean, this is a really nice alien, which surprised you because you thought they were mean. But the alien would say, really? I I thought the Metroplex would be bigger than that. And I thought it would have animals and people and bugs and rivers and cars and buildings and trees and all sorts of things. So then you would explain to him what a map is and that this is not actually the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, but it's a representation of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. You would say to him, a map is not the actual territory. It's not the real space. A map is just a small representation of an area of land or sea. It shows some cities and some physical features such as roads that are relevant for transportation, but it's not the actual territory that it represents. And the alien would finally be satisfied with that answer, understanding more completely what a map was, that a map is not a territory and he would not take you off to his strange land. He would allow you to stay here. Now I do that because I want you to think about a map for just a second. And I want you to think about your brain in the same way. Your brain is a map. And just like every map, it offers a certain way of doing things. There can be two different maps of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, right? Some will show certain things. Others may not show those exact things, but they'll show different things. But they're both maps. 
Your brain is a map that offers a certain way of viewing things, and while every map does that in a very specific way, every brain is not the same, and every person is not the same. We all think differently. We all feel differently. We all process information differently, and when we go into a relationship with someone, we often go in, especially if it's a conflict, quite honestly, we often go in with the assumption that we have the correct view right? You hold the correct map in your brain about, how, about this particular issue. And, and what we do is we suggest to them that our map is their territory. And what they say to us when you're in a disagreement, this is actually what's happening, they say, well, I hear you saying that, but that's not, that your map is not the territory. That's not the actual thing that I'm experiencing. And so you have a disagreement, and where do we go? How do we work this out? And we're, we're kind of at odds and butting heads, and we can't figure out how to move forward. And the reason that that's happening is because you and I, in our own brains, only have a part of the map. Our reality is that we have a partial map, and that only with others do we have a more full picture than we did by ourselves. All conflicts, I believe, on some level, are a result of that common mistake, thinking that your map is the territory. When it's not, it's your experience, it's your perspective, it's your opinion, it's your, your, your posture in life, the, way you've, the things in your life that have led you up to that point that have created you in a certain way, that have helped you to think in a certain way. We know our beliefs, our opinions, our maps, so we think that that is the most accurate. But in most cases, we simply have never seen it from the perspective of another person. So practically, what we have to do, I believe, in relationship, how does this Philippians chapter 2 passage get lived out in relationship with one another? I think part of the way we, in humility value others more than ourselves, and in our relationship with Christ have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, is that we have to be willing to suspend our map, our thoughts, our opinions, our beliefs entirely, and just focusing on getting into the map of the other person that we're in conversation with or relationship with or conflict with at that particular moment. And the reason that I suggest that is because this is what Jesus did, church. Paul says it. He had every answer that was right. He was divine. He did nothing wrong. He had the correct map, if you will. But he entered so completely into our reality that he became one of us so that he could understand our position, our perspective more fully. He embodied our place. And then he came, and then he, not only did he come, but he, he took his life all the way to the cross all the way to death, even death on a cross, Paul says. And then he invites us to do the same thing in our relationships with one another. Our role should be to embody, as we think about our relationships with one another, to, be in, to, be, to, to put ourselves in other people's place, to see life from other people's perspectives. And this word is a word, honestly, that I have needed to hear this week. And I hope it's a word that you need to hear. And this works, again, no matter the relationships, a church family member, a co-worker, a, a spouse, a child, a friend, a customer. This applies across 
the board. We practice this, especially in conflict and relationship, when difficulty, when we're having a hard time communicating. One way that Greg Boyd says that you can do this is to pretend you are the other person in the conflict and actually oppose yourself. Try to see it from their perspective. Never assume a motivation or accuse people of believing things. Try to ask people their viewpoint and motivation and then stop talking and listen to their answer. And once you have their answer, honor their answer and stop insisting that, no, it couldn't really be that. You must have some other motivation, right? How often does that happen in disagreements and conversations? Is we're, we, we, we have a hard time valuing other people before ourselves because we question the answers that they give us sometimes. And most of all, honor the fact as we have those conversations that we just learned something new about this person and their heart and be grateful for the fact that they shared it with you. This is a fundamentally different way, church, a kingdom way of engaging in relationships with one another, of having the same mindset as Jesus Christ and doing what he actually did it's a way for practically for us to live out this teaching in Philippians chapter 2 this week. Just in one relationship that we have this week, attempt to put ourselves in their shoes and talk less and listen more and hear what they're saying. And that practice is a way to value them above you. It is a way to put them before self. And it's really practical it's really simple and yet it's also really difficult because all of us as we walk out these doors in just a minute the first thing we're going to think about is what do i want to eat right you could practice it on the way to lunch now it might take too long to make the decision and somebody eventually might just have to make the decision but you get the point right like but like there's there are there are going to be a million opportunities this week for you to live out this teaching and to practice it in your own lives rather than trying to win Rather than trying to get on top by dominance and wielding his power and influence, Jesus abandoned entirely the worldly concepts of winning. And really, he abandoned the worldly concept of losing entirely. Released the judge to urge is what we have to do, and instead seek only to understand and honor. And what will happen as we live with this posture in our relationships with one another is that we will be found faithful, just as Christ was found faithful. And then on that day, when God exalts him to the highest place and gives him the name that is above every name, and every knee actually bows, and every tongue confesses that it's in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and God is glorified, on that day, that final day, our deepest longings, because we've been faithful, will be fulfilled. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. This morning, uh, at the beginning of the worship service, we started by reading the first four verses of this passage together. And today, to conclude the sermon, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. So we're reading verse 5 twice, but we're going to read verses 5 through 11 together as well. So if you would, read these with me, and then we'll sing a song together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This church is what we believe. And this is our example, and this is our strength for how to live it out. May Christ help us on the journey. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for Christ, for his example, for his life, for the challenge, the high standard that we're called to live to. And we pray that you'll help us this week as we have unnumbered opportunities to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ in our relationships with one another. To do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but value each other's opinions, thoughts, perspectives more than our own. Consider each other superior to ourselves. What a fun thought to think, God, about how much this would change a church, a city, a county, a state, a world as we live into this reality. Help us on the journey as we try uh, to live lives that we might be found faithful in your eyes. We pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together.